may realize already that the angels play a prominent part in the birth of Jesus, and they talk to uh, the parents of John the Baptist as well as to Joseph and Mary and guide them through a dangerous time, and we're going to visit these angelic encounters over the next five Sundays starting today. So it's going to be good news from angels. And it is the first in five parts uh, about the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus that we're calling Jesus Live and Unedited. So going through Easter, we're going to focus on the red letters in your Bible, if you've got a red letter edition, where Jesus is talking to his family, to his enemies, to other teachers, to the crowd, and communicating to them the priorities that are on his heart. So, we're starting with angels, the good news from angels. Today, we look at Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and I'm in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8. Zechariah is a priest. He is part of the division, which is now being appointed to take care of ministry in the holy place in the temple. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared For the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. The old man Zechariah, he got the, the angel upset, I think. Don't you? 
he was just a little bit disturbed at Zechariah. Somebody asked me this week if I believed in angels. I said, yes, I do. We serve a great and awesome God who is well able to create powerful and beautiful beings that do his bidding. Angels do not appear everywhere in Scripture. They appear at strategic moments in the lives of God's people. The name Gabriel means man of God or warrior of God. You know it appears only four times in Scripture. Twice in the book of Daniel where Gabriel prophesies the coming of the Messiah and twice right here in this text with Zechariah. Gabriel stands in the presence of the Lord. He gets his orders from God Almighty. He's not accustomed to being challenged concerning his words. I think he's even surprised at Zechariah and that he does not really believe. Zechariah has been praying this prayer for a child. And he doesn't really believe it's going to happen. Have you ever prayed a prayer and you didn't really believe it would happen? I'll bet you have. I'll bet you've said things to God and prayed and asked God to do things that you really didn't think would happen. You really weren't believing. I'm going to challenge you to do what Zechariah did. Pray in your crisis of belief. Pray even in your crisis of belief. If you're having a hard time with faith, you feel like you have no faith or tiny faith, pray in your crisis of belief. This is what Zechariah did. He is an old man. He's been a priest all these years. He should be able to trust God. And yet he is afraid instead of full of faith. Zechariah stands in a long line of priests. He is a son of Aaron, the first high priest. He ought to have faith, and yet he is doubting that God will answer his prayer. If you were like Zechariah, if sometimes you pray without believing, I want you to continue to pray in your crisis of belief. I have a suspicion that praying in your crisis of belief gives birth to powerful prayers. It doesn't take much faith, people. Jesus said faith like a grain of mustard seed, the tiniest seed in the garden, was so potent and powerful that you could move mountains. So I'm calling on you, brother and sister, if you feel like you have little faith or tiny faith, to pray in your crisis of belief. Zechariah prayed. I think it was a kind of secret prayer. I don't know that he told everybody he was praying for a child in his old age. He says to the angel, I'm an old man, not willing to call his bride an old woman, though. He just says, and she's well along in years. Interesting, huh? Hey, uh, a smart man. That's exactly right. He tells this angel, this is our situation. And I think there's kind of a hopelessness in Zechariah as he prays. 
and hope uh, that they are just beyond. He's afraid that he's too old and she's too old and they have missed their opportunity. And yet he prays. There is this moment where he enters the most holy place on earth for the nation of Israel. He is chosen by lot to do this. They cast the dice and lo and behold, it falls on Zechariah. And Zechariah goes in to represent his division of priests on this particular day. And there is a great assembly outside the temple and everybody is praying. And Zechariah prays. And God hears his prayer. I want you to craft a prayer that addresses your unbelief. I want you to remember a man who got a miracle after he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Craft a prayer that seeks faith in your time of struggle and spiritual difficulty. And say, Lord, I need faith. Ask God for faith. Ask Him to address the doubt and overcome the doubt that's in your heart. Somebody said to me recently, I don't know if God exists. Was an older child. But I have to have faith, right? The verse came to mind. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can have all kinds of logical reasoning. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Verse 1 says, and so we must believe God, and faith is trusting God and entrusting ourselves to God. It's impossible to please Him without faith, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, the old Bible says, and it is the state of being verb in the new Bible that says He exists. And that's okay, but I, I really like the old one better. Must believe that He is. That he is the foundation of all being. That he is the reason you exist and have life. That he is the ground, the foundation of everything there is. He who comes to God must believe that he is. That his presence permeates all of life and all the universe. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And Without faith is the noun form, and believe in that, ver in that verse is the verb form of the same word group. It's you trusting God in the middle of your spiritual dilemma, in the middle of your spiritual crisis, in your crisis of faith to pray. Crafting a prayer that expresses to God your crisis of faith is very important. And saying to God, this is where I am. And honestly expressing to God where you are in prayer. Zechariah prayed, even though he really didn't believe it was going to happen. And God gave him credit for it. You pray, even though you're struggling with faith to believe. And you'll find credit too. Before the God who says, 
Ask me. Ask me. And even a tiny bit of faith in your heart, I can do great things. Pray in your crisis of belief and pray for your family. Do you have a family prayer? I hope that you do. I hope you have a family prayer. I hope when you bow your head at the table to thank God for the food, at night as you go to sleep, when you wake up in the morning and have your devotion, I hope you have a family prayer. I told Rachel this Thanksgiving, we had a moment together, and I said, Rachel, I want you to know your mother and I pray for you and Tony and the girls every day, and we do. And she said, we pray for you too. Now look, Zechariah is in the most holy place on the planet. There are a throng of people outside having a prayer meeting. He has been selected to represent all of them as he comes into the holy place to burn incense before the Lord. And what is on his heart? His beloved wife, Elizabeth. Their marriage, their home their family. And that would be true about you, I would think. When you get in the special place, in the awesome presence of God, and you bow your head to pray, the most important people in your life begin to surface in your thoughts, and their faces go before you. And you pray for those that you love and who are your special assignment in life? You pray for your family. Zechariah is part of a great family. It is the family of Aaron, the first high priest, along with David the king. Aaron's family is honored above all others in the old covenant. And Zechariah is a true descendant of Aaron. His wife Elizabeth is named after Aaron's wife. They are truly part of the priesthood. And when he bows his head, he prays for his family, and it is a godly and virtuous thing to do. Do you have a family prayer? Do you have a prayer to pray at Christmas when you gather at the table? Would you work on that prayer? Would you write a family prayer for you and your spouse and your children, the uncles, the aunts, the nephews, the parents and the grandparents? Would you write a family prayer? And would you pray it this Christmas season? Everybody wants God to bless their family. And that was on the heart of Zechariah when he was in the holy place. I want you to pray for the time you live in. This is the third prayer. I want you to pray in the crisis of belief. I want you to pray for your family, like Zechariah did. I want you to pray for the time you live in, okay? Sometimes we think that the era in which we live is the worst of all possible eras. But Zechariah lives in a really tough time. 
Herod the king sits on the throne. He is a murderous king. He is a horrible despot. He is not really a Jew. Though he supposes himself a son of David and wants so badly to be seen as David's heir that he builds the Herodian, which is an artificial mountain that overlooks the fields of Bethlehem and has himself buried there overlooking David's home fields where David shepherded the sheep. But everybody knew he really wasn't a descendant of David. He was and Indumian, and he was set upon the throne by Caesar. The priesthood has fallen into disarray as well, and greed has taken over among the priests who rule in the temple. And Zechariah is well aware of the shortcomings of his age. It is a difficult time to be a priest in Israel. It is a difficult time to be a Jew under the heel of Rome. It's not a great time. And yet Zechariah prays. And Zechariah fulfills his priestly duty. And I want you to think about the time that you're in, okay? God is about to do something amazing in Zechariah's day. As difficult as that time is, God's going to do his greatest work in Zechariah's day. And this is what God is going to do. He is going to have John the Baptist, who is Zachariah's son, become the final heir in Aaron's priesthood. And then the temple will be destroyed. And he is going to have Jesus of Nazareth become the final heir to the throne of David before Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is gone, these two, John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, will represent the great houses of the ancient covenant. And they will be the last faithful heirs to Aaron and David. And God is doing this in a time that is dark and bleak and difficult. When God asks his people to pray, For their rulers, it is often in a difficult time. In fact, in the Bible, it is almost consistently in a difficult time that God says pray. Now, I want you to pray for the time you're in because this is your assigned time, all right? And you are being sent into the world as well, brothers and sisters. God is sending you. Just as he sent John the Baptist, just as he sent Jesus, just as Jesus sent the apostles, he is sending you into your world, and you cannot prepare for Monday morning as you go out the door into your world without praying for the time that you're in. And if you feel despairing and hopeless about the day in which you live and the world that you are part of, prayer will help. Prayer will give you hope. Prayer will fill your heart with hope. Prayer will reorient your perspective. Prayer will help you see the heart of God and see your world like God sees the world. When you rise from your knees after praying for the time that you're in, your heart will have a greater expectation of all that God is going to do. 
And when you rise from your knees, you'll be able to see what God is up to more clearly in your world. And you need to see that. You need to see what, is God, what God is up to in your family, in your marriage, with your children and your grandchildren, at your workplace, in your school. God is up to things. He is always at work, and He is at work where you live, where you work, in your family. As you pray for the time that you're in, you'll be able to see what God is up to more clearly and join Him in His work. I saw Henry Blackaby when I was at Gateway Seminary here not long ago, and I said, I want to thank you for impacting my theological vocabulary because you reminded me that God is always at work and that I was to join him. And he said, thank you. But I am grateful that he reminded me of this truth, which is true about you. You have this time, this generation, this moment. You didn't get to choose it. It was chosen for you and chosen for you because you have an assignment in it. Young man, young woman, young lawyer, young doctor, young teacher, God has an assignment for you in this time that he has chosen for you. Embrace it in prayer. And expect, like Zechariah, that God's going to do something amazing. Like he did in Zechariah's time, he will do in yours. I am filled with hope as I go through the holiday season and sing the Christmas carols and read these stories of Christmas. Filled with hope and expectation of all that God intends to do. I hope that you are also. Now, I want you to add a fourth prayer to these three. Pray for the turning. Pray for the turning. This is a great time of year to pray for the turning. You say, what turning are you speaking of? I am speaking of the turning that concludes the words of the Old Covenant. In Malachi chapter 4, in the last part of the Old Testament, the Bible says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. That's how the Old Testament ends, right there. I'm going to send somebody. The Old Covenant ends with, I'm going to send somebody who will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And when John the Baptist is heralded by Gabriel, Gabriel says, John the Baptist is coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. It is translated parents in the NIV, but as often the case, it is in the masculine. So it particularly refers to the fathers to their children. Now, I think it's a surprising word to end the old covenant with, to begin the new covenant with, turning the hearts of children or parents to their children, the father to the. Why? Why? Why does God select this challenge for his new prophet, John the Baptist? Why does he conclude the old covenant with this promise? Is it that important? 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Does it surprise you when you think about it? it is, a, is it a surprising word to you? It is about to be the, the climactic moment for the revelation of God. He is sending his son, Jesus. John the Baptist is promised as the one who will prepare the way. And what is he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Is that needed? Is that something that needs to happen? Have fathers lost touch with their children? Have they lost their focus upon their children? Have fathers gotten involved and distracted in other things? Have fathers maybe abandoned their children? Is that a possibility? Why would God say turn the father's hearts to the children? It was a need in Malachi's day when he wrote that prophecy and ended the old covenant. It was a need in John the Baptist's day when Gabriel said he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And I suspect it's a need in our day too. I think perhaps it could be the most dramatic spiritual event in our nation if the hearts of fathers were turned with intensity toward their children. Day after day, I hear the cry of wounded hearts who have suffered with the loss of and the absence of a father. Now there's a father, Zachariah, soon to be a dad. And it is the longing of his heart to be a dad. And there is another father, Herod, mentioned in this passage, who murdered two of his children to protect his throne and banished another child who was up in age along with his mother because he had a new wife with his political interests. Herod built the Herodian that I just mentioned. He built the second temple and is known widely around the world for his construction project on the second temple. It's called Herod's Temple. And he built Caesarea Maritima and he built the Masada. He was a great builder and that's how history knows him. But his children didn't know him as such. And he is the king who when he heard that the baby was being born in Bethlehem, deployed his forces there to slaughter all the children of that age. John the Baptist came into a world where the hearts of fathers needed to be turned toward the children, and God gave him that assignment. Would you make it your prayer this Christmas season? that the hearts of fathers would be turned toward the children, that the hearts of mothers would be turned toward the children, that the hearts of grandparents would be turned toward the children, that aunts and uncles would turn toward their nephews and nieces, that all adults would value the children like God values them because there is another father in this passage. It is the father in heaven, and he's a good, good father. Amen? 
And he loves us passionately. In fact, we receive our identity. And he loves me. That's who I am. That's who I am. And every boy and girl on this planet needs to know that dad loves them. And they are loved by their father. That's who I am. My mother loves me. My dad loves me. My grandparents love me. They need to nestle in with the security of the love and peace and joy that comes out of that relationship of knowing that the heart of the parent is turned toward them and they are special because of it. And everybody on the planet who has suffered through the loss of a parent, the abandonment by a parent, a father that didn't care, a mother that left them on their own can find in the Father in heaven the love that grounds them and gives them peace. It'd be a great day, a great season to compose a prayer of turning. Lord, that you would turn my heart to the children in a new way. Lord, that my heart would be turned toward my own children and the children around me and the children with whom I have influence and the children where I bear responsibility that, God, you might elevate their importance in my life that I would not be so distracted by all the building projects that I think are my legacy, that my own children would see me as the absent dad. So there are four prayers. Pray through your crisis of belief. Pray for your family. Pray for the time you live in and pray for the turning of hearts to the children. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, you're a good, good Father, and we must confess as we contemplate our own fatherhood that we have fallen short in so many ways. I pray, God, that in this season you will turn my heart to the children more fully than ever before so that I might follow you, dear God, in your love for the little ones and receiving them. And thus do we all pray, God, for a great turning of our hearts toward the children who are our charge. Whatever our position might be, whatever our family situation is, the children might be elevated in our own importance and priority. God, turn our hearts to the children. God, help us pray in our crisis of belief. Help us pray for our family in this season. And Lord, fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with amazing faith and expectation as we pray for the time that we live in. God, we bring these prayers to you. We thank you that you are awesome and able fully to hear and answer. In Jesus' name.